Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Lifestyle Mastery and today I'm excited to have Mark Silver, who is a best-selling author, photographer, filmmaker and producer of the very popular YouTube series, Advancing Your Photography, where he has interviewed scores of some of the biggest names in photography. He started out learning darkroom skills and basics of photography at the legendary Peninsula School uh, in Menlo Park in 1960s and moved on to hone his skills to professional standards uh, at the famed San, San Francisco Art Institute. Mark moved into teaching photography in workshops all over the country, became renowned as an engaging and helpful speaker and coach. Uh, he loves adventure and you will find him out backpacking, surfing or snowboarding. Uh, and maybe just chilling, taking a walk so calmly with his wife and golden retriever. He's written two books, Advancing Your Photography and the Secrets to Creating Amazing photo, uh, Photos. And his new book, Create Tools from Seriously Talented People to Unleash Your Creative Life, is launching on July 23rd. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Rohit. My pleasure to be joining you. Awesome. So, uh, so you know, what, what made you, uh, you know, get it, uh, uh, into the world of photography? Well, I, was, uh, I became a photographer when I was uh, about 12. Uh, at that point, I, I was going to this school that you mentioned, Peninsula School, which is very close to where Facebook now is. Uh, and the school highlighted creativity above everything else. So we were all involved in some sort of creative activity, writing, uh, pottery, uh, weaving, writing plays, making short films. And in my case, I had always really loved photography, but my teacher in the, in the seventh grade asked me if I wanted to see how a darkroom worked. And, um, you know, we developed a roll of film which seemed like sort of magic, but the real magic occurred when we put it into the enlarger and printed it. And all of a sudden I had all this control over how I wanted the photograph to look. Before that, you know, this, this dates me, but before that we would just take our rolls of film to the drugstore and they'd come back and they'd be sort of muddy looking and, and very small. And, you know, they're not very artistic when you, take things to the drugstore. Yeah. So I learned the art of photography uh, at that age, and I became a photographer, a professional photographer, right, almost right away. I started selling my photographs, uh, even in the seventh and eighth grade. In fact, one of my most sold photographs, believe it or not, I took in the eighth grade. Okay. So I, I, you know, I just kind of carried on from there, uh, mostly self-taught. I did go to the San Francisco Art Institute, but uh, and then later, many years later, I had to really re-educate myself as a digital photographer all over again. So it's just been part of my life and it's, it's something I love. And it's, I'm fortunate to have something I love also be my source of income. And uh, whenever you can do that, you're really, you're hitting things the way you should be. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, uh, before the interview, you, you, you said you've been an entrepreneur and uh, you you run a consulting business, so um, so right after school, were you were you uh, you know still a photographer or or you know how did you start your journey of uh, of being a consultant or did you did you have a corporate gig for something? 
Well, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I sort of immersed myself as a uh, management consultant, and I really left photography behind. It was so encompassing and, and, you know, raising a family at the same time, the only photographs I took were sort of snapshots. And I came, I came to a point in my career where I thought, you know, I really do want to pursue my artistic uh, goals again. And that's where I ended up selling my consulting company and re relaunching my career as a photographer. But the fact that I'd had uh, the grounding as an entrepreneur and actually training entrepreneurs, which is really what I did in my consulting company, really helped me in the marketing end of things. Because it's one thing to say I want to be a photographer or an artist, and it's another thing to actually make that into a, a bona fide living. And I think that's what many people struggle with, what it, whatever their goal is, is how they really dream about something else, of some sort of entrepreneurial activity. But you have to have, you have, to have some skill and some uh, direction in terms of marketing and making it work. And I try to describe some of those skills in the book itself, in the book uh, Create, because there's no point in telling people to go out and be creative unless they can ultimately pursue their goal with it. And that's what I hope to have achieved with the book. Got it. And, um, uh, uh, you know, what are the mis common misconceptions about, about creativity? You know, you, you worked in a consulting firm uh, for, for a long time, a lot of people do do uh, have, have a nine to five jobs. Uh, do you think working in a job hampers creativity, or, or you know, uh, or, uh, or you know, something people? Or do you think everybody can be creative? Well, Rohit, that's you know, my contention is that yes, everybody can be creative, and and the first misconception that I believe we run into, and I've just noticed this when I talk to people about creativity is they'll say, oh, I'm not very creative. Yeah. And, and this includes people who I consider to be quite creative. But there's some misconception that they have in terms of what does it mean to be creative? It doesn't necessarily mean somebody who has a paintbrush in their hand or they're taking photographs for a living or you know they're writing music for a Broadway musical. It means that you are you're using your imagination to conceive of something that you then carry out in the physical universe in some sort of artistic or aesthetic fashion. And that very much can include being an entrepreneur. Um, I interviewed 11 different very, very creative people in all sorts of skill sets. And virtually all of them are entrepreneurs. In fact, that that's the case across the boards. They're either an entrepreneur in their own art, art form, or in the case of uh, Chris McCaskill, who is a serial entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. He started um, uh, actually a number of uh, very successful companies. Most recently, uh, SmugMug, which is a very, very successful photo sharing site. He you know, basically what he mentioned and many of these other entrepreneurs did too, is that you have to bring that creativity to whatever you're working with. And that's probably the biggest misconception is there's, there can't be a disconnect. You know, you say, well, I have a nine to five job. 
there's no creativity involved in it. Well, maybe you just need to look for the avenue. Where's the window of creativity in that job? Or as, as some of the people that I interviewed said, they, if they got to the point where they really saw there was no room for creativity, then they knew they had to push themselves to move on to that area. Because creativity is such a fulfilling part of your life. If you don't have it, it's a big void. And so I would say that's the major misconception I'm trying to help people overcome is you can find that area of cre creativity in your life and really pursue it. Got it. And, uh, uh, do, you, do you need a set of tools for creativity? Uh, is there uh, you know, a time blocking that you know, somebody has to do uh, in a day to, to, to think through? Because you know, uh, I, I, I blog and I, I also have a podcast, but uh, sometimes I have this, uh, you know, uh, you know, this writer's block mindset that makes it difficult for me to write. But, uh, but do you think there are a set of tools for creativity? Absolutely. In fact, that's what the book I, I go through is the fact that you need a, you need a set of tools for creativity. Okay. And one of them is, is um, how you manage your time. I don't really call it so much time management as really priority management. Okay. Because, you know, people will make time for what they consider as a priority if you, if you look at it. And, you know, whether it's being with your children or exercising or, you know, pursuing another creative avenue of writing or whatever, if, if you consider it a priority in your life, you're going to carve out some time for it. But the important thing is also, I, I, I kind of liken in the book, I liken time to uh, kind of the analogy is just how you invest money. If you're trying to save up for a big trip, let's say, you, ha you have this urge to go to Alaska or to um, Hawaii or wherever you, you know, you have this idea that you want to travel to and you know you need to save up a certain amount of money to make that happen. It's a question of probably eliminating some other expense and putting aside that money Right. And eventually you make your, your goal. Well, time is the same way. If we're investing it poorly, it's sort of like eating junk food. Not only do you feel bad afterwards, but your body suffers. So if we're wasting our time with things that we know are not profitable in terms of time, spending too much time in front of some screen uh, or another, we all have so many different screens to choose from these days, and if it's not profitable in terms of creativity, then we're, we're kind of squandering that resource. So what, one of the chapters I um, outline is how to really put your creative time into your life. And I actually have a breakdown so that, it, you know, you can actually take your daily schedule and put it into this breakdown. And my contention is that the average person should have about two and a half hours left over for creative time if they schedule it properly. Right. And if they, if they use it well, that starts to bear returns. And of course, anything that brings returns, you tend to want to do more of. Yeah, it completely makes sense because, you know, I, I run this blog and podcast on the side and that's that's what I do from, you know, five to nine. And uh, that's, that's my side hustle. So it uh, makes my creative juices uh, live on the time. But, uh, exactly. Uh, I, and, you know, are, are there any simple ways you can increase your creativity? Uh, 
Absolutely. There's the easiest one that I, that I mentioned is going to galleries, going to museums. Okay. Sorry, I've got some kind of uh, something going on here. Let me, let me fix this. The, the easiest way to increase your creativity is, is by immersing yourself in creativity. And one of the, one of the great ways to do that is to go to museums. Um, a book that I mentioned uh, is, uh, it's called Damn Good Advice, and it's by an author named George Lois, who in the United States is quite well known for um, his, his advertising campaigns, but he also designed, I think, 97 covers for Esquire magazine. He's a very creative fellow. And he said uh, his success in kind of bringing his creativity about was to go to a museum every week. And he usually went to the same one, but I, I recommend going to different ones and immerse yourself in some, uh, in, in looking at some form of art that really resonates for you. It doesn't even have to be in the same area that you're trying to create. Like for instance, photographers can definitely learn about composition and lighting by looking at the painting of the masters because they already had figured it out long before there were cameras. And we can use those same skills in uh, taking a photograph. But the, the interesting thing about looking at creativity is it really doesn't matter what genre it's in. It's going to spark something in your own creative um, internal process. And I, I call it adding to your library. You, what you want is a big, full catalog of, of creative um, observations that you've made. So we know that as a writer, it's so important to read a lot. Uh, right. Stephen King makes that point. Almost every writer uh, that I've ever come in contact with who writes prolifically also reads an enormous amount because you want to get those other ideas. It's not that you're going to take those and copy them, but you, you see how somebody used something and it sort of sparks something in, in your own mind and your own skill. So Rohit, the easiest thing I would say is spend time. If you can't do it every week, as often as you can. And if you can't go to a museum, at least look at art in the form of books. Let's not, try to do it on, on a screen because we're already sort of disconnected from it. But if we go to a library and check out uh, art, art books and look at those, expose yourself to more and more art around you and start to see how others could see, you know, in their, in their inspiration, what, what they saw. That's a definite easy way to to fill up your, your creative library. And the more you have in your library, the easier it is for you to produce something yourself. That's, that's very interesting, you know. Uh, so, so reading books and going to, to, to museums, you know, uh, maybe listeners can use this to, to increase their creativity. Um, also, you know, in, in the book, you interview people like uh, Instagram phenomena, Chris Buckard, uh, serial entrepreneur, Chris Maxkill. Uh, and Nancy, Nancy Cartwright, you know. Uh, so, so what did you learn from them? Do you, do you think uh, these talented people are different from from others, or uh, or is there any any special thing which which they which they are doing? Actually, I found something interesting that they're just like people like everybody else. 
the difference is they had to overcome all sorts of obstacles. So one of the things I wanted to find out, what, were these people just sort of born on a creative path and they, they were just incredibly lucky and everything came to them really easily? Um, Chris Burkhardt, who has well over 3 million followers on Instagram, he's a best-selling author, he is a um, film producer, you know, he said, you know, in his case, it was a 12-year overnight success. And it took him a lot of work to get there. And it took a lot of effort. But the thing that I find probably stands out with these people isn't that they were lucky. And it wasn't that they had some kind of inside line to creativity. It was that they were very persistent. They overcame all sorts of obstacles. Now, now, probably the one, the one that stands out the most, and I think this is a really important lesson for all of us, is Chris McCaskill. The, the one I mentioned earlier is a serial entrepreneur. He grew up homeless on the streets of Oakland. Oakland is the city, if you're not familiar with it, it's across the San Francisco Bay from San Francisco. And okay. it's, kind, it's kind of the ugly side of of uh, our area, at least it was at that time. It's gotten cleaned up since then. But at the time he was homeless on those streets, it was not a very pleasant place to be. He lived under overpasses. He ate in soup kitchens and um, he had a very unfortunate childhood. He was basically rescued from that and by one way or another, he ended up earning his master's degree at Stanford University and going on to work with Steve Jobs, both oh. at uh, the company that he founded called Next and then later at Apple. And he's lived, uh, he's lived in this incredibly immersed sort of uh, creative um, environment but he came out of this horrible environment. And one of the things he said is a day doesn't pass that he isn't just struck with how fortunate he is. And I think that's a really good lesson for all of us to remember. It's just, you know, and even in comparing his situation, he realized there were people that were far worse than he was even living on the homeless, homeless as he was on the streets of Oakland. Um, and he realized that you have to cherish, you have to really cherish and recognize what you have and not, not sort of pine over what you don't have all the time. I think that's re a really important lesson. Yeah, that's, um, you, you write about persistence, you know, and, and how some of the greatest entrepreneurs have overcome that, that obstacle to, to create and build. Uh, yes. And I think, yeah, you know, once, once you're there in the, at the, in the long game, you know, once you once you overcome all the obstacles, is when uh, when you you know get to achieve your goals. That's right. One of the common things too that that the people that I interviewed all spoke about is how you have to overcome the negative voices in your own head. Right. Those are the those are the hardest ones because you know if somebody's criticizing you from an external source, you can go, well, I'm not going to listen to that person. But when it's in your own head, it's very easy to get sidetracked and to lose your focus. So this is another thing that 
each of these um, really successful people mention over and over again is you have to learn to get around those negative thoughts and also how to even strengthen yourself to overcome those so you're not sidetracked and you don't lose ground and you don't doubt yourself. And I know it's very easy to say that, but it happens to all of us and we have to learn ways to, you know, get around that and sidestep that and keep going on your creative path in spite of it. Got it. Um, so, so Mark, you, you also talk about visualization. So, um, so how can one master the techniques of visualization? Um, you are Yeah. So the first step is what I already mentioned, which is go to see a, a lot of art because that's going to help you fill up your mental library uh, in terms of cre creativity that's worked for other people. And the second step is to just um, utilize your, your power of visualization. We all have it. Children have it in a remarkable way. They can, they can create a whole world, it seems like, and have ideas that are not so constricted as adults. So the thing is, if you practice visualization, it gets like anything else, it gets stronger. So there's many ways to do that. If one is going to, let's just take something as simple as redesign a section of their home. My wife and I do this all the time. We've, we've uh, managed to have great success at finding homes that for some reason nobody else wanted and visualizing how we could turn it into um, a much better house or a house of your dreams even. And... Um, you have to look past the flaws in order to do that and visualize what it could look like and what, it, what, you, what changes you could make. But it's a question of really just using that skill. And that can be used as an entrepreneur. Very successful entrepreneurs are ones who can visualize the final outcome of the product or service that they're developing. And a lot of times it seems unbelievable. Like who would have thought before Uber came along, that this could become a billion, multi-billion dollar industry where you're getting people to drive their own cars and other people are going to somehow connect with them. If you gave that idea to somebody, they probably think you were crazy. But look at how successful it's been. Look at how successful Airbnb has been. Um, you know, you look at these companies that were built on the on really just an idea they didn't have to go out and buy houses and then turn them into hotel rooms. They didn't have to buy fleets of cars and turn them into taxi cabs. They, they really fundamentally built it on a vision and spread the vision to both the consumers and the participants. And this is kind of what our whole new uh, economy is based on is, is simply an idea. And, uh, in a way, you know, you even look at Amazon, how successful Amazon is. Yeah. It, it, even though it started off as the, you know, warehouse uh, and, and buying books and reselling them, they transitioned into really just being the intermediary so that you're, you're getting your, your buyers and your sellers together and then facilitating that. Again, it's, it's on, more on an idea phase than a, 
than than a a hard physical universe. Uh, it had to it had to start with the concept. So, if we practice our visualization, take those dreams, and don't let them disappear. One of the things I recommend is definitely get a notebook and keep a notebook of your of your ideas. You'll never know where those ideas are going to come from. And don't let them fly out of your head because they will, they'll kind of evaporate. If you get a bright idea about something, write it down. It helps you, it helps in the visualization process or even make a drawing of it. Or if you find something that kind of looks like what you're thinking of, you know, maybe you see it in a magazine, cut that out and put that in your notebook. So the more you start bringing an idea into the physical world, the stronger it's going to be. And then you can share it with other people who you trust and start to collaborate. And collaboration is what allows, you know, that whole visualization process to really grow. The only caution is don't collaborate with negative people because they'll just shoot it down. Yeah. Collaborate with people who, who can give you honest feedback. You know, sometimes you need to be told, no, that isn't going to work or that's, that's too expensive. Okay, but, but that type of person, if they're truly a creative person, will, will suggest to you a way that you could do it. And working together, you can kind of work through the ideas. So those are some of the tools that you can use with visualization. Interesting. Right. So, uh, so Mark, you, you've written two, two books on photography. You've spent uh, a long time uh, clicking, clicking photographs. Uh, the, the problem with millennials now is they, they all have phones and we all think that we are great photographers. But, uh, but you know, what makes, uh, you know, how can somebody learn photography? And, you know, you, you uh, a lot of listeners who are looking to build a side hustle, how can, uh, how can they be uh, good at clicking photographs? Well, specifically about photography, I feel like the reason I wrote my first book, which is called Advancing Your Photography, um, and I titled that because wherever you are, you want to advance. It's not, a, it's not a question of, I want to become a great photographer, or it's a matter of advancing whatever skills you have. And I, I re my, my whole goal with that book, and I feel like I've accomplished it, you know, taking a look at the feedback is to provide a handbook that in one place you could take your skills as a photographer and continue to improve them. So um, my, my self-promoting recommendation is get a hold of a copy of that book because it really will elevate your skills wherever you want them to go. If you want to become a pro, it'll even tell you how to do that. If you don't want to become a pro, but you just want to be more you want to be proud of your photos, then you need skills behind that. Photography isn't something that's just an intuitive area. There's a lot of technical skill involved and a, a, lot, a lot one has to know about composition and lighting and their equipment. So even though you can visualize a photograph, you have to be able to carry it out. And uh, this is something I wrote about in that book and I carried it over to create, which is, there is a cycle of creativity, which I think might be important to just mention that. Is it okay if I just go through that really quickly? Um, in creativity, you have five stages. The first one is visualization where you get the idea. Right. The second, second stage is you have to know your tools. 
if you're an entrepreneur, you have to look at what are your tools. You've got marketing, you've got personnel um, acquisition and training and all these different things. Those are your tools as an entrepreneur. Um, and then you have to work your craft. You have to get into it and you have to actually work. And the next stage is editing. And we don't want to edit while we're working because that's where the negative stuff comes in place. Editing is a second stage after you produce something. Like as an entrepreneur, you come out with a new product. That's version one. Put it out for beta testing. See what people like or they don't like. Ah, I, I see. They get confused about this one area. Good. So that's version two. And that's an editing process, but you'll never know what to put in version two unless you create version one. And then the final phase of uh, creativity and photography is sharing your work. Right. Sharing doesn't just mean giving it away for free. It means getting it out to the world. And those five things have to fit together. And when they do fit together, you get a, a kind of an upward spiral of creativity. It's a very important thing to, to grasp those five stages and to use them in your own life. Got it, got it. And, and uh, Mark, I just want to talk about, about your new book, which is which is great. Uh, it's launching on July 23rd. Um, so uh, did you self-publish the book or do you, do you have a publisher who's helping you out publish the book? No, I have a publisher that I've been working with for my with my previous books and also with this one. It's Mango. Okay. And um, they're kind of a new era publisher. They like to pick authors who have a, uh, a strong social media platform. In my case, I have a re really strong YouTube channel. Right. And um, they've been wonderful to work with. I really like working with a publisher as opposed to self-publishing. I've only self-published one book and I found it, for me anyway, I didn't want to have to do all those other things. Right. And um, I can focus as an author uh, having a publisher on, you know, writing and creating the content, although I'm very involved in the marketing as well, but I'm doing it. It's a partnership, so it's much easier. Got it. So uh, uh, let's quickly do the, do the top three. Uh, what's your favorite business book? You know, I have, I, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give two. Uh, my, okay. the, the first one that comes to mind is uh, uh, called Brand Intervention by David Breyer. David okay. Breyer um, is a branding expert, and he basically gives you a roadmap to create your own brand. And he shakes up a lot of myths and makes it very clear what you have to do to brand yourself. So if you go look for him on Amazon, you'll find it. It's called Brand Intervention. Okay. And uh, I guess we'll just stop there. That's, that's a very favorite book of mine. I, I think he did a great job. Got it. I'll put that in the show notes. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started uh, working on your book, Create, uh, is, is there anything you would have done differently or you would have focused, uh, focused on? You know, the thing I would have done differently is I would have documented, since I do have a, a, a very robust YouTube channel, and I thought of doing this, but I just didn't, I didn't pull the trigger on it. I would have documented my process through my YouTube channel because okay. I think that would be interesting for people who want to become authors to see the struggles you go through and to see how you have to solve these problems. I think that would have made an interesting show, and I'll probably do that with my next book. 
Got it. And uh, do you have a favorite online tools example, Gmail, Slack? You know, lately, it's interesting. I'm using this um, online transcription tool called Temi, T-E-M-I. And um, it's very helpful if you're recording interviews. Like we could take this interview and send it through Timmy, and it's very low cost. It's like 10 cents a minute. Now, any mechanical transcription tool, however, will have errors in it just because it, it mishears, but people do as well. I've sent, I've sent um, audio out to be transcribed by people and they can mishear a word. So you have to have somebody go through it and correct those few words that don't come out right. But it's very handy for authors as well. I did uh, some of the chapters of the book, not very many, but I did a few chapters um, speaking into my iPhone and then transcribing it and then re-editing it heavily afterwards. So it can definitely speed things up that way. But it's a, it's a tool I use all the time now because for instance, I do um, video, inter- I do interviews um, with photographers. I'll send the interview through Timmy and then that, that gets turned into a blog post. Because I think one of the things we all try to do is leverage whatever content we're creating across as many platforms as we can. Right. And that enables you to do that very easily. Yeah, correct. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, what are the best way people can reach out to you and, and get your book created? The best way to find me is to go to my website, and that's Silber Studios. Now, you have to remember it's S-I-L-B like Bravo, E-R, Studios. And if you go to Silber Studios, you'll find links to all of my stuff, including my books. You can go to Amazon and search my name. Mark, M-A-R-C-S-I-L, be like Bravo again, E-R, Mark Silver, and you'll find my books that way. My books are available across all the different, um, uh, you know, Barnes and Nobles and all the different platforms that sell books. But the easiest way, if you remember Silver Studios, you'll be able to find my YouTube channel and my social media and my books. It's an easy way to find me. Got it. Yeah. So, so congrats on, on launching the book. The book is being launched in July 23rd and uh, we'll, we'll put uh, this on the show notes uh, so that people can, can get to buy the book. Uh, thank you, Mark, for coming onto the show. I really appreciate speaking. Thank you, Rohit. My pleasure. And uh, really, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, that we're, we're speaking across such a vast distance and sharing these ideas with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Rohit. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.